The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Adam Rosenhart, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on Friday, April 19th, 2019, and we're trying something a little different this time around. Dave and his wife are taking a much-needed vacation, and so is Ryan and his family. But they didn't want to miss the chance to share their thoughts on the outcome of the 2019 Alberta election. So I gave both Dave and Ryan homework. The fellas were provided with a series of questions, and using the supercomputers they carry around in their pockets, they had to record their answers and send them to me. So let's get started on the outcome of the 2019 Alberta provincial election. The first question that Dave and Ryan had to answer was, were there any surprises in the results? Here's what Dave said. Well, I don't really think there, was, there were too many surprises in terms of the individual results. It was largely what we were expecting. We knew for, I mean, it's been pretty clear for the past year or two that the UCP has been leading in the polls. It was pretty likely, it seemed likely that they would form a majority government. Uh, and then going into this campaign, even though the polls seemed to, at some polls, seemed to show that the gap was closing between the NDP and the UCP, um, the, the, that the UCP would form a majority wasn't really in doubt. Um, I guess that uh, one of the one of the one of the I guess you could say if there was a surprising surprising thing in this campaign, uh, it was that the UCP did so well in Calgary, or that the NDP, perhaps put differently. The NDP didn't do as well as they had hoped, especially since Rachel Notley spent the last week of the campaign in Calgary uh, and had focused so, many, so much of her party's resources in Calgary during the last week of the campaign. It appears, and I, I've, I, when I'm, as I'm recording this, there's still some advance votes that need to be counted. <clears throat> so it appears that the, UCP, or the NDP won three seats in Calgary, down from, I think, around 14 or 15. Um, so that, that's a huge... Uh, drop for the for the uh, for the NDP in Calgary, and it's interestingly the three seats that they appear to have won: Calgary Buffalo, Calgary Mountain View, and Calgary McCall are actually the three seats that the Liberal Party won in the 2012 election in Calgary. So we're kind of it seems in Calgary we're reverting back to the 2012 situation where you have these three prog more progressive ridings, uh, and uh, and the rest going conservative. In this case, the United Conservative Party. I was surprised that. Um, looking at some of the smaller parties, that David Kahn himself, the Liberal Party leader, um, who had an opportunity to introduce himself to Albertans during the leaders' debate, uh, and actually thought did okay during the leaders' debate, he got absolutely crushed in Calgary Mountain View, uh, earning about 5% of the vote. Um, and that's, that, that's in a riding that the Liberal Party has held since 20, or 2004, when David Swan won it. Uh, David Swan, the outgoing, or the former Liberal leader who retired in this election. Uh, I guess a couple of the other interesting races I would have I was looking at um, the NDP vote appeared to collapse everywhere in rural Alberta, and of course I haven't done a kind of a, a close analysis of the numbers, and I will in the next couple of weeks. But one of the interesting interesting races that I thought for the NDP one of the races I thought was interesting for the NDP was in Banff, Kananaskis, where Cam Westhead, um, who was elected as an NDP MLA in 2015. Uh, was narrowly defeated by UCP candidate Miranda Rosen. It appears that Cam West had basically kept or maybe even increased his total vote uh, in Banff-Kananaskis, which I think is fascinating. 
and and uh, and could lead to Banff Kananaskis uh, becoming a, a competitive riding again in the future. Um, whereas this riding used to be a solid conservative riding, especially when it used to uh, include the Cochrane, uh, the, the, the town of Cochrane, which is a more conservative area. But now it's now which, now which is now included in the Airdrie Cochrane riding. And here's Ryan's answer on whether there were any surprises in the election results. Uh, for me, you know, in specific terms, I was surprised at a couple races. Um, number one, that the UCP was able to win Calgary Varsity. I, I didn't expect Varsity to be one that they were able to flip, um, given its proximity to the University of Calgary and the NDP were running a relatively strong candidate. Um, so that one surprised me. <clears throat> On the other hand, I was a little bit surprised with some of the UCP performance in the north, in the northeast of Edmonton. I, I had hoped and really thought that you know, whether it was Castle Downs or Beverly Clairview, uh, you know, one of those ridings that the UCP would probably be able to pull one of those away. We saw a real regional divide where, um, you know, the provincial result was something like 52 to 35, but in Edmonton it was basically reversed, and it was something 50-something to 35-ish for the NDP. So that that surprised me a bit. Um, I was not surprised to see the Alberta party get wiped out. And, you know, we make jokes about that and things like this, but you, you just really don't have a lot of oxygen for third parties in an election like this, where both sides see it as such a, you know, a high stakes election. Um, I believe David Kahn got less than 6% in his own riding, which again, is just an indication of the stakes and what voters were thinking about. I'm also um, pleasantly surprised, and I, I really think Albertans deserve to pat themselves on the back for this, with the overall turnout. Somewhere between 70 and 72% is what I've heard, which is just terrific. You know, that is a really good turnout, and um, I think it's something we should all be proud of. There are some wrinkles with the voting procedure. As of this recording on, what is it, Thursday night, they still haven't released some of the results for some of the ridings, which just drives me crazy. But overall... High turnout is great. Um, so I wasn't surprised that it was a good turnout, but I was surprised at just how high it was. And I guess that just shows the enthusiasm for, you know, if you're out in the rural and in Calgary for the UCP and the enthusiasm for the NDP in Metro Edmonton. Next up, I asked the guys to think about who Premier-elect Kenny would appoint to his cabinet. Here are Ryan's thoughts. So let's talk cabinet appointments. Uh, it's one of the most fun things for pundits and nerds to talk about, and it's one of the most nerve-wracking things for the poor people whose names we're about to discover, uh, discuss. And so, you know, I'm a little hesitant because I don't want to be suggesting to some friends of mine um, that they aren't on a potential cabinet list. It's also important for me to say that I have no idea what they're going to do. I have zero inside information. I'm far from any sort of influence or being part of those decisions. So this is just pure speculation based on kind of what I see and what I would do if it was me. Um, I think that it's difficult to suggest specific roles, but some of the names that you know are the most obvious and that are kind of being discussed out there, I would agree with. So I think you're certainly going to see Rick McIver, uh, Jason Nixon, Doug Schweitzer, Leela Eher. Um, you know, once you get into some of the other names after that, some of the decisions get a little bit tougher. So in Edmonton, it looks like there could be Casey Madu, and I'm still hoping Nicole Williams um, comes through. As of this recording, we don't have a result yet, but I understand that it was very close and that her campaign's feeling pretty good about that. Uh, there's you know, a few others around the province that I would consider to be strong would be Tracy Allard, uh, Travis Taves, 
Adriana Lagrange. Sorry if I said that wrong. Uh, Sonia Savage seems like a good energy minister to me. Rebecca Schultz in Calgary Shaw is very strong, and I've heard great things about her. Um, you know, Tyler Shandro, who is uh, Dave's favorite lawyer, would certainly be a strong one. And then after that, it really just comes down to regional breakdown and the balance between new blood and regional things and other types of representation. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a number of names, potentially uh, Nate Horner, potentially Nate Glubish. There's, uh, you know, you could see Cyril Turton from Spruce Grove. Um, I've heard that Dale Nally from Mornville St. Albert could be in consideration I really don't know. One of the themes, though, that you might pick up from the list that I'm speculating and what you've read about in the media is that it's not necessarily the shadow critics from pre-election. And that's tough. You know, I, I think that one of the toughest things about politics is cabinet making. And first ministers, whether they're premiers or prime ministers, they really have a tough job to do because you have to balance skills, experience, regional representation, gender, other types of diversity... Um, and all of it is, you know, a political exercise first and foremost. So you can't just necessarily pick, you know, your closest friends, your closest supporters. You have to reach across to former leadership candidates. You have to reach across to supporters of other leadership candidates. So there's a lot that goes into it. But those names that I've read off would be the starting point that, you know, that I would do. And I, you know, I feel like I'm probably leaving a bunch of strong names out. And, and it's just because the cabinet's not going to be that large and if I had to guess I would say less than 20 people maybe something like 17 including the premier 17 18 maybe smaller so it's really not that large now they'll have an opportunity to create associate ministers there are other roles such as whip house leader there's going to be a speaker um, so we'll see what happens with all of that an interesting trivia point is that in the very first Stephen Harper cabinet in 2006 Jason Kenney was not a full minister he was, I believe, either a parlsec or an associate minister. You know, by the end of the Harper years, Jason Kenney was a very, very senior minister. So things can happen. You know, for my friends who are listening and who maybe don't make it in this round, um, <laughs> good advice is to do what the boss did. But in this case, I actually mean it specifically. Do what Jason Kenney did. You know, find a file, be effective, get to work, deliver results for the party, Get out there and speak to voters and build coalitions and build relationships. And the one thing about politics is there's always change. People's names come in, people's names go out, things happen. <clears throat> this would probably be, you know, like any other cabinet where a year or two from now there'll be a shovel. And after that, you know, they're going to be looking at who's been the, the hardest working and the strongest performer. So as far as cabinet goes, uh, Jason Kenney said that on April the 30th, they'll be swearing them in, and I know that I will be glued to my TV and my other devices, and I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast will be too. So if I've missed anyone, or if you guys think I'm crazy, I'd love to hear your feedback as well. And this is who Dave thinks we'll see in a UCP cabinet. Well, this is kind of the curse of success in electoral politics. When you have a large caucus, and, and it appears as though the UCP has elected 63, 64, 65 MLAs, um, a lot of those MLAs are going to expect to be appointed to positions of power, and a lot of them are going to be expected to be appointed to cabinet. And realistically, that's not going to happen. Um, I expect Mr. Kenny will probably appoint a cabinet of less than twenty less than twenty people. That seems to be the trend in Alberta politics. He might not go as small as the NDP did when they were first elected. I think they appointed ten or twelve people to cabinet. 
um, and had a really tight group. Uh, I expect that uh, that the UC people appoint a larger group, um, maybe not that much larger, but but I don't I doubt it'll be that small. The names that stick out to me immediately when I'm thinking about who Mr. Kenny might be appointing to cabinet. Doug Schweitzer is, is one um, Calgary lawyer, longtime uh, conservative loyalist, ran for the UCP uh, leadership, uh, defeated Doug, uh, pardon me, defeated um, uh, Alberta Party MLA Greg Clark for re-election in Calgary Elbow. Uh, another one is pipeline lobbyist Sonia, Sav- Sonia Savage, who was elected in Calgary Northwest. She's a, another longtime uh, PC Party loyalist. I think she was actually president of the Progressive Conservative Youth when Ralph Klein was elected premier back in 1992, 1993. Uh, the other names, Jason Nixon, who's been Kenny's uh, political lieutenant from uh, from Rimby, Rocky Mountain House, Sundry. Uh, I'd expect he'd get a prominent place in cabinet, perhaps as house leader, uh, government house leader. Uh, Leela here is another one I'm looking at. Uh, and then Looking at some of the newer MLAs, I'm thinking someone like Nate Horner from Drumheller Stetler, who has a you know bring, brings a prominent name to the cabinet table. The Horner family has been is a longtime political family in Alberta, but interestingly, because the NDP basically won almost won every seat in in Edmonton, um, it's going to be interesting to see who from the Edmonton area gets appointed to cabinet. Now, as I'm recording this, uh, the vote anywhere ballots haven't been released yet. So we don't know the final results of the election in Edmonton West Henday, where on election night it was a close race. I think 113 votes between uh, NDP MLA John Carson, who was running for re-election, and UCP challenger Nicole Williams. Now, if the uh, vote anywhere ballots skew heavily towards the UCP, we could see Nicole Williams being elected uh, as the MLA for Edmonton West Henday. And I would say that she's probably uh, would be someone that Kenny would look for to appoint to a cabinet. She's a lobbyist, a uh, former ministerial aide, uh, and she would be one of two MLAs, uh, UCP MLAs from, from inside of Edmonton. And the other one being Casey Madu from Edmonton Southwest, who would also be someone I think Kenny would look at for, uh, for a cabinet position, simply because they're both in within Edmonton city limits. Regionally, the UCP won uh, every seat in the Edmonton region, uh, with the exception of, of St. Albert, where Marie Renault was re-elected. So I'd, I'd be looking at people like Cyril Turton, maybe Nate Glubish, uh, maybe Brad Rutherford uh, as, uh, as cabinet appointees to kind of bulk up the, uh, the regional representation in the Edmonton area. Um, this is assuming that Mr. Kenny is going to take regional representation into consideration. It's kind of, we have this checklist of things that we, we, that we, we assume politicians do when they're appointing cabinets and gender, balance, um, uh, diversity, uh, regional representation, they're all they're all in this like checklist. But now, Mr. We, as we've seen in the past, that's not necessarily the priority of all political leaders. So we'll have to see whether whether that plays into Mr. Kenny's uh, Mr. Kenny's equation. This episode of the Dave Berta podcast is brought to you by Unit B Coworking. Unit B is a multi-company co-working space focused on helping people pursue their passions and making Edmonton its creative best. Join a tight-knit group of freelancers, startups, and established organizations all dedicated to getting things done. Besides desks and offices, Unit B offers members access to its podcasting studio and meeting spaces, as well as a kitchen, Wi-Fi, and all the typical amenities. It's located in the historic McKinney Building on 104th Street, close to everything downtown, including the Bay LRT station. Book your tour of Unit B Coworking today 
at unitb.ca. Hi, I'm Emily. And I'm Brienne. And together we make Emily Missed Out, a podcast where Emily and I dig into the long list of films that she hasn't seen yet. It's a very long list. Totally long list. And help her catch up on all of the pop culturally relevant lines, characters, scenes, and tropes that she may have missed out on. We're also a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can find us online at albertapodcastnetwork.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Join us for my pop culture education. Yeah. A question I think a lot of people have on their minds is, what does Rachel Notley and the NDP do now? Here's what Dave has to say. Well, Rachel Notley says she's going to stay uh, as leader of the, and serve as leader of the official opposition, which I think is really good for the NDP and probably good for Alberta. Um, Notley continues to be their strongest asset. The NDP, even though they were defeated in government, um, they formed an opposition of 24, and I said maybe 23 MLAs, depending on how the vote count in Edmonton West Henday goes, um, which is a strong opposition for Alberta standards. It's actually probably one of the, one of the largest oppositions, um, uh, aside from the, the UCP and the, the liberal opposition that was elected in the early 90s. Uh, so the NDP will go into uh, a summer legislative session uh, with, a, with a bulk of 24 MLAs, I think nine who've served in cabinet. Interestingly, I mean, there's been a lot of commentary about how the NDP, you know, are act more naturally. They're more comfortable in opposition. Well, there are only three MLAs in the current NDP caucus, in the new NDP caucus, who've actually served in opposition. And that's Rachel Notley, Darren Billis, and David Egan. Uh, so, you know, I think the NDP itself, you know, probably, you know, in, in, in Alberta politics naturally feels more at home in opposition. But uh, that's not necessarily the case for for the 24 uh, NDP MLAs who've been elected. It, it, it will be, a, just as it will be a steep learning curve for the UCP, because the large majority of the UCP MLAs haven't ser- have never served in government. I think there's only two who've been, been in provincial government, Rick McIver and, and Mike Ellis. Um, the large majority of NDP MLAs have never served in opposition. So it'll be interesting to see how they, uh, how they coalesce and, and how they... Um, how they compete uh, against Mr. Kenny's message going into the summer, because he does have a, a very strong mandate in terms of, of the popular vote his party received and in terms of this of the large majority his party received in the legislature in terms of the seat counts. So I think it will be interesting to see the NDP how the NDP uh, create a message around their opposition to, to Mr. Kenny. Uh, the NDP campaign itself, uh, you know, it, it did tend to be quite negative in terms of focusing on on, on kind of the negative aspects of Mr. Kenny and the negative aspects of, of the, some of the comments that Mr. Kenny's candidate said during this election. But simply because it was negative doesn't mean it wasn't legitimate. I think that, that criticizing the UCP MLAs for uh, UCP candidates for racist, sexist, homophobic, disgusting comments is totally legitimate, even if it's negative. What concerns me is that th- th- there appears to be, and I mean, there'll be a more, little more analysis going into into this in the next few weeks, there seems to be a fatigue around these types of issues, which is very concerning because these this kind of stuff matters, uh, and it should be concerning. And yeah, jobs, the economy, and pipelines, those three key messages that Mr. Kenny focused on during the campaign, they obviously resonated with a heck of a lot of Albertans. But these other issues also matter. Uh, and it's and what I don't want to see, what, I, what I'm concerned is that the UCP is just going to assume, or, or UCP supporters, I should say, 
are just going to assume that these that the, that the issues that the NDP raised during the campaign don't matter because the UCP won a large majority. I think that would be a misreading of the population. Uh, but we'll have to see how that goes over the summer. And here's Ryan on what Rachel Notley and the NDP do now. I'm not sure what's going to happen to Rachel Notley. I kind of see two possibilities. I mean, first of all, I think she remains one of their strongest assets. She is, you know, their, their best performer in question period and things like that. So she'll make a, a, a pretty strong leader of the opposition. She's certainly experienced now, having been an opposition leader and a premier. I think, though, that it's also not going to be very easy. I think that she can expect to basically be burning the candle at both ends for the next however long she's in that role. Because if she's critical of the government, they're going to be able to say, well, you had four years to do this. Um, and if she takes a more left-wing approach and she goes back to some of the NDP orthodox, you know, the, the government's going to be able to say, well, you were for pipelines when you were the government, what changed? And so I think that that will wear on her a bit and will kind of limit her ability to maneuver in both directions because she won't be able to basically go against what she governed about. But I think that her party is going to have a real interest in turning left and getting back to what the NDP's traditional values are. So what I would expect is for her to not be in a rush. Um, I think she'll be there for maybe a year, maybe 18 months. I, I don't think the party's interested in embarrassing her at all. And those who remain probably do owe her their seats. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of personal loyalty. I think right now there's probably no mood to replace her at all. But over time, I think it'll, it'll become more apparent why leaders do change. Uh, in our you know contemporary modern setting, and it's because of that. Like you, you had a record which the government can use to defend themselves against you, and that record in this case also was something that she had to drag elements of her party along to. So my prediction for Rachel Notley is she sticks around for maybe a year, um, giving the party lots of time to go through a fulsome leadership cycle. You know, there's no rush; it's a stable majority, so there's four years. I would suspect something like maybe next December. She resigns, uh, and we have a spring NDP leadership race, or maybe add another six months to that. But, you know, I don't think she'll be in a rush, but I don't think she'll be there for the full four years. Our last question today is, what do the results mean for Alberta politics over the next four years? Let's start with Ryan's answer. I think it certainly was an important election. I mean, obviously, it's the UCP's first government, um, the first experiment with the United Conservative Party at the polls after, you know, a decade, a decade and a half of split, um, certainly since 2012, where there's been a significant, you know, duality in the conservative parties. It was an interesting election because you had a lot of people come together from different different tribes, from the two sides. You know, people who as late as 2015 or 2016 were certainly not on the same party, um, put down their differences and really just, you know, come together and work together to try to defeat the NDP. So I, I guess what I think is most interesting about the next four years is going to be what the NDP's response is. Um, they, you know, they elected a decent size. Uh, opposition caucus and it's a very experienced one most of the MLAs that they have in their caucus are returning MLAs and I think I heard something like 12 if you include Rachel Motley uh, have cabinet experience so it's a pretty unique opportunity for them um, it's, I think the thing I'm going to be watching for is if they just try to relive the 2019 campaign they ran on a very focused negative campaign targeting Jason Kenney 
and they put a lot of their political strategy into that. And I think it's fair to say to the detriment of even speaking of their positive vision and their accomplishments. You know, Dave and I talked about how Rachel Notley didn't even mention $25 a day daycare um, in the debate, which is a signature file. So they ran a very focused campaign on talking about Jason Kenney and, um, you know, if I guess the, the results speak for itself. Um, it's not that they did badly, but they... You know they didn't win. They didn't get a mandate to govern, or they wouldn't. They couldn't renew their mandate. So, if the NDP chooses to um, relive the 2019 campaign for the next four years, it will be interesting. I think there's going to be some tensions internally to that party, and we've talked about this before. I suspect that the grand bargain that Rachel Notley offered her caucus four years ago, which was to moderate in the interest of you know of power and of governing and of actually accomplishing things. I suspect that that bargain looks a little bit less appealing to some of the more left-leaning members now. Uh, a lot of the focus that they put on defending the energy sector, on talking about pipelines, things like that, it'll be really interesting to see if they maintain those positions. But for the next four years, you know, I expect the NDP to go through a very typical, um, you know, all the stages of grief and sort of come back as some modernized, more centered version of themselves. I, I think now that they've had a taste of power, I would expect them to want to compete for power next time. Um, but I guess we'll all see, you know, and if you're, a, if you're a hesitant observer of Jason Kenney, if you're not quite a true believer or you didn't vote for him, then I think what you're looking for in the next four years is to see just how, how he behaves, how he governs. Um, he is everybody's premier today. You know, he is the premier for Alberta. I think it's incumbent on the winners to behave magnanimously and to behave with some grace towards those who didn't didn't win. And that's what I fully expect. I expect the Kenny government to govern as a, a typical centrist, you know, um, moderate party with, with a focused agenda and focusing truly on bringing the economy back. So that's what I think is in store in the next four years. And here's Dave on the meaning of this election result on politics in Alberta over the next four years. Well, uh, we have a large majority government, and we also have a large opposition. Uh, there are two parties in the legislature right now, um, and that will be that will create the to help to create the defining narratives of politics in the next four years. I think we're in for a brutal summer of politics. Um, Mr. Kenny has said that he wants to hold a summer of repeal and a summer session where he's going to um, dismantle uh, a number of the the or. A number of the prominent uh, initiatives and, and uh, pieces of legislation that the NDP passed over the four years, past four years, uh, I think it's going to be a very rough summer of, of uh, protests and uh, of, uh, of opposition and, uh, and of uh, politically heated debates. Um, so at least over the next, the next summer, I think that, uh, that it's basically going to be an extension of this election campaign. It will be interesting to see, because there are only two parties in the legislature, what the other parties do. Um, in terms of the Alberta Party and the Liberal Party who failed to win any seats in the legislature. I can't imagine Stephen Mandel sticking around for very much longer as leader of the, of the Alberta Party without a seat in the legislature. Um, I also have a hard time imagining David Kahn sticking around. Um, it's, it's hard to see a future for these two parties right now. Um, I think both of them are probably going to have to look for new leadership and new inspiration in terms of, of trying to find out, uh, trying to, to, to define themselves and trying to find meaning. 
Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. The Dave Berta Podcast is made possible in part by the support of Alberta Podcast Network, which is powered by ATB. You can visit albertapodcastnetwork.com to discover other great Alberta-made pod. And as always, we want your feedback and questions for our next episode, which will likely come out in a couple of weeks as we sort of ease back into our normal publishing schedule. You can get us on Twitter at Dave Berta or on the Dave Berta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at daveberta.ca. Thanks for listening and happy Easter. Happy Easter.